This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on insurance. I'm an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant and expert witness and author and producer of these videos. Today we're going to discuss the June 1, 2021 issue of Zelma's insurance fraud letter and at least one of the articles in that fraud letter entitled The Law of Unintended Consequences Strikes Again to Help Set Up a Bad Faith Case, where a statute to protect against bad faith authors created the opposite result. In White v. Cheek, a May 21, 2021 decision of the Georgia Court of Appeals, a personal injury action arising from an automobile accident involving Stephen Duane White and Walter Cheek resulted in an appeal where White appealed from the trial court's denial of his motion to enforce a settlement. White contended that the trial court erred by holding that oral communications on White's behalf constituted a counteroffer and thus there was no enforceable settlement agreement formed between the parties. The record showed that Cheek filed suit against White, alleging that while he was a passenger in an automobile driven by White, White lost control of the automobile and caused a collision that resulted in injuries to Cheek. Geico was White's liability insurance carrier at the day of the accident, and Cheek's counsel sent Geico a letter containing an offer of compromise governed by Georgia Statute OCGA 9.11.67.1 parentheses A close print. The offer, in accordance with the statute, required, quote, all communications to this firm initiated by or on behalf of your insurance company or your insured relating to this offer of compromise must be in writing. If a communication to this firm relating to this offer of compromise is initiated by or on behalf of your insurance company or your insured in any form other than writing, that will be a rejection of this offer of compromise. Any offer to resolve this case by Mr. Cheek will be made in writing. If any condition or requirement is not met by the specified deadline, or if any additional terms, conditions, or representations are requested of Mr. Cheek, or included in the release by GEICO, then there has been no acceptance and no agreement, and this offer will be immediately and automatically withdrawn. The letter containing the offer of compromise also stated that in the unlikely event that GEICO needs an additional information regarding liability or damages, to complete its evaluation of this claim, please contact me in writing 
to let me know. I will do my best to answer any questions you could possibly have. Despite the requirement in the offer for all communications from GEICO to Cheeks Council relating to the offer be in writing, on January 18, 2019, Cheeks Council received two voicemail requests for information from GEICO. Thereafter, Cheeks Council sent a letter to GEICO explaining he had received GEICO's voicemail relating to the offer of compromise I sent on Mr. Cheek's behalf, and stating that obviously your call makes it clear that Geico has chosen to reject Mr. Cheek's offer of compromise. Less than a month later, Geico's counsel sent a letter stating that it was accepting Cheek's January 10, 2019 settlement demand letter and all of its terms. The letter included a $25,000 check payable to Cheek. In May 2019, Cheek's counsel responded by sending a written reply stating that Geico declined Cheek's offer of compromise by failing to comply with the terms of the offer and returning Geico's $25,000 check. Thereafter, why? filed a motion to enforce settlement. Following a hearing, the trial court issued an order denying White's motion. The trial court held that a condition of acceptance of Cheek's offer was that Geico could only, only communicate with Cheek's counsel regarding the offer in writing, and that by failing to comply with that condition, Geico failed to establish an enforceable settlement agreement. The Court of Appeal assumed that the General Assembly meant what it said, uh, said what it meant. To that end, the statutory text's plain and ordinary meaning, since all statutes are presumed to be enacted by the legislature with full knowledge of the existing condition of the law and with reference to it, they must be construed in connection with and in harmony with the existing law. In enacting the statute, the General Assembly acted against the background of a large body of law or contract formation generally, and settlement formation specifically. As part of that existing law, settlement agreements must meet the same requirements of formation and enforceability as other contracts. There is no enforceable settlement between parties absent a mutual agreement. An answer to an offer will not amount to an acceptance so as to result in a contract unless it is unconditional and identical with the terms of the offer. To constitute a contract, the offer must be accepted unequivocally and without variance of any sort. A purported acceptance of a plaintiff's settlement offer, which imposes conditions, will be construed as a counter-offer to the offer to settle for the policy limits. White was permitted to seek reasonable clarification regarding terms, liens, subrogation claims, 
standing to release claims, medical bills, medical records, and other relevant facts. And an attempt to seek reasonable clarification shall not be deemed a counteroffer. Nothing in the plain language of the statute, however, limited Cheek's ability as the offeror to require that a request for clarification be given in writing. Given that under the common law, an offeror is free to set the terms of his or her offer, subsection A required that every pre-suit offer must contain five enumerated terms, but additional terms are not prohibited. White violated this requirement. When Geico's representatives left a voicemail for Cheek that expressly mentioned receiving the offer, questioned liability, and sought further information about the claim. Because White's representative violated the express terms of the offer, the parties did not reach a binding settlement agreement. Accordingly, the Court of Appeal affirmed the trial court's denial of White's motion to enforce a settlement, a purported acceptance of an offer that varies even one term of the original offer is a counteroffer, and there's no settlement. Now, the decision was based strictly on the words of the statute and the fact that Geico failed to ask its questions in writing. Chief Judge McFadden of the Georgia Court of Appeal concurred in the opinion, but felt it necessary to point out how the offer, although literally in accordance with the statute, resulted in an unintended consequence that allowed the plaintiff to set Geico up for a bad-faith suit that should have been unwarranted. Chief Judge McFadden stated, quote, This is another of the cases arising out of the unintended consequence of our Supreme Court's decision in Southern General Insurance Company versus Holt. Under Holt, an insurer that passes up an opportunity to settle a claim within policy limits can be liable to its insured for a bad faith claim. That rule creates an incentive in cases where damages greatly exceed policy limits for a plaintiff to attempt to set up a bad faith claim. The General Assembly addressed the perverse incentive by adopting the statute. OCGA section 9-11-67.1. Although Cheek cannot invoke the provision of the settlement agreement on which the majority relies to declare his offer rejected, Cheek can invoke other provisions to achieve that end. Cheek will now be able to proceed toward a bad faith claim. Be but in Chief Judge McFadden's view, such a claim would lack merit because of the onerous requirements made of the insurer-in-cheek's offer letter. I have great concerns about the contents of that offer letter. The Court of Appeal rarely see it 
appeal that directly addresses the merits of a bad faith claim, such as the reasonability of an insurer's action. The language of the demand letter in this case directly implicates the question of the insurer's reasonability. Cheek's counsel represented an oral argument that the demand letter at issue is a widely used form, probably because it makes a bad faith setup often successful. Cheek's attorney responded to the attempted acceptance with a declaration that they deemed it a rejection and didn't come up with their reasons until three months later. Ordinarily, good and bad faith are questions for a jury. Under some circumstances, summary judgment is in order. That the offeror lacked intent to settle the claim has been found to be objective evidence of the absence of good faith. The 22-page offer letter is compelling, if not dispositive, evidence of a lack of intent to settle the claim and so of bad faith. Perforce it is not bad faith to reject an offer made in bad faith, but rejection of a bad faith offer would not discharge an insurer's duty under Holt to accept a subsequent good faith offer. In the opinion of Zalma's insurance fraud letter, the Georgia statute was an attempt to avoid bad faith set-up offers of settlement. It, as Chief Just Judge McFadden noted, had the exact opposite effect. The court was compelled to enforce the statute as written. Chief Judge McFadden made it clear in a concurring opinion that Geico should aggressively defend the bad faith suit and made clear that a motion for summary judgment should be granted because the offer was clearly a bad faith setup attempt. Lawyers, of course, must represent their clients to the best of their abilities, but need not act unethically by refusing an offer to accept the settlement demand that did not accept every element of the 22-page offer immediately. In addition to the article about the unintended consequences of bad faith settlement offers, this issue of Zalma's insurance fraud letter also includes an article entitled, Do Insurers Get Their Money's Worth from Fighting Fraud? A listing of good news from the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud about insurance fraud convictions. A list of health insurance fraud convictions produced and digested from the Department of Justice and the Health Insurance Inspector General, a listing of other insurance fraud convictions, new books from for the insurance claims professional and insurance fraud professional, and 
a listing of Zelma's insurance blog postings. This video was adapted from Zelma's insurance fraud letter issued June 1, 2021 and is available free from my website, zelma.com, and with links from zelma.com slash blog, as well as listings on LinkedIn, Twitter, rumble.com, and Facebook. If you found this video to be useful to you and or your colleagues, please pass it on. It's free. And please also subscribe to Zalma's Insurance Fraud Letter, my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, and my blog so you can be advised of future videos and blog postings. Thank you for your attention.